This is Michael Cohen, and you're listening to the one and only Maya Culpa podcast, now on the Mighty Midas Touch Network. So look for all future episodes of our show behind the blue banner, and we're glad you're here. And now for the news. It's been a desperate time for Republicans, and apparently desperate times call for desperate measures. Republicans weren't always like this. They didn't always lie about everything. They used to believe in things that would benefit the whole country, not just themselves. But then, they weren't under the thumb of Donald J. Trump. They weren't always a cult, and they didn't always do whatever Trump told them to do. But those days are fucking gone. Christian nationalist and far right-wing zealot MAGA Mike Johnson represents the new Republican Guard. Johnson's God is Donald Trump. I mean, he and those like him claim that lying is a sin on Sunday. But then they show up to work on Monday and they lie their fucking asses off for the rest of the week. Johnson, who's been crying about the border crisis since he was miraculously voted into the speakership, I mean, in Kevin McCarthy's wake, has already said that if any border bill lands on his desk, it's dead on arrival as in DOA, and he hasn't even seen it. The Biden administration is hammering out a bipartisan border deal now, and no one has seen it yet. But by all accounts, it's a conservative's wet dream. But these aren't conservative Republicans that we're dealing with. No, these are fucking maggots, and they don't want no stinking border deal, no matter what. They just want to bitch about it, and blame President Biden. And they've already shamelessly admitted that there will be no fixing the situation until after the next election. Because that's what Donald Trump wants. And I want to quote, a border deal now would be another gift to the radical left Democrats, Trump said on his fake Twitter last week. They need it politically. No, Republicans need it politically because like I said, they are desperate. And I hate calling any hearing in our Congress a sham or a kangaroo court because it's just so beneath the United States to use our courts as political cudgels. But that is exactly what's happening now in the House. The sham impeachment of Homeland Security Secretary Alejandro Mayorkas, it's a fucking embarrassment. In fact, it reminds me of McCarthyism and the worst witch hunt in the Senate's history. But at least McCarthy thought that he had a purpose. He was after the commies. The House Republicans, they're just after a win, even if it means degrading themselves and our Congress to get it. And this poor guy Mayorkas, he would become only the second cabinet secretary to be indicted by the House of Representatives in the United States history, and the first, the first in nearly 150 years. This is all show and tell, of course, and House Democrats will never let this bogus impeachment fly. But what the fuck, Republicans? Really, what the fuck? There are two fake articles of impeachment. 
The first article accuses Mayorkas of repeatedly violating the law by allowing the release of migrants who are awaiting court proceedings. And the second article alleges that Mayorkas lied to lawmakers about the southern border being secure and that he obstructed congressional oversight. Now, despite zero evidence that Mayorkas committed a crime or any acts of corruption, they are arguing that because he implemented the Biden administration's border policy, well, he's a criminal. Republicans decided all on their own that Biden's border policies are illegal. Not because they are, but because they simply don't like them. It's razor wire last week and an impeachment this week. They will do whatever it takes to make the border crisis look like something out of Mad Max. They'll all want to keep the fear and xenophobia front and center until after the election because they don't really have much else to run on. The Fed is now patting itself on the back because their rate hikes actually worked. And Bidenomics, by all metrics, is a success. I mean, look at the facts. Jobs are up, the GDP is up, and by far and away, we have the best economy right now in the world. Japan coming in a distant second place. I mean, is the economy good for all? Well, not yet, but it's better than it was under the Trump administration. I mean, the stock market is at an all-time high. And wouldn't you know it, I mean, this is the best. Trump is out there trying to take credit for all of it. Saying that the economy is only good now because his administration teed up the boom. I mean, let's all call what it is. It's fucking bullshit. Even when they are trying to act in the best interest of the country, Senate Republicans come off like fucking whack jobs. I mean, during Wednesday's social media hearing in favor of protecting children, Republicans talked to media moguls from Meta and TikTok like they were murderers or worse, communists. Senate Democrats and Republicans have been trying to pass responsible safety rules for underage internet users for years. I mean, here's their chance to work across the aisle to make something good happen for the next generation. And yet, yet Republicans are playing it like the Salem witch trials. TikTok boss Xiao Chu had to withstand the racist harassment of idiot Arkansas Senator Tom Cotton, even after Show insisted that he wasn't Chinese or a communist. Cotton went on and asked the same questions over and over again: "Are you Chinese? Are you a communist?" And look, like I said, they can't help but keep the xenophobia front and center. In a hearing about what is best for all our kids, Tom Cotton grilled the TikTok CEO from Singapore like he was a Chinese spy and a dirty red one too. I mean, turning the whole proceeding into an excuse for his white supremacy. And now for the main event. It's a great honor to have again my busy friend George Conway on the show. Conway, he's a brilliant lawyer, writer, and political commentator who is now a fixture on news programs such as MSNBC, NBC, and CNN. He's also one of the founders of the Lincoln Project, a conservative who crossed over for the good of country. 
Conway has been a very effective thorn in the former president's side, and he's here with us right now to talk about Trump's legal challenges and why the truth matters. So let's go now to that conversation. Okay, so George, great to have you back on the show. Great to be here. Let's just jump right into it and talk about Trump's behavior in court. I mean, we know that he was a mess in Judge Kaplan's courtroom during the E. Jean Carroll trial. In fact, I watched him as he was a complete and total mess in Judge Ngoron's courtroom. Do you see his behavior getting any better with each of the subsequent trials that's to take place? No. (laughs) That was a hard, gosh, that was a hard question, Michael. No, I do not see him getting better. We have what we have, and he's only, well, he's only going to get worse. I mean, we've watched this psycho for years, and he only gets worse. He never gets better. And he's under a lot of pressure. I mean, he's, he owes Gene Carroll now $88.3 million. He's going to owe the state of New York probably a couple hundred million on top of that, maybe $300 million. We don't know. We'll see. We might find out at 5 o'clock today. Who knows? He's facing 91 felony counts, and, you know, he's facing the pressure. I mean, the chickens have come home to roost. Uh, He laid those eggs. He has behaved in the way that he has behaved in a way that, you know, he for many years he did not face consequences, but now the consequences are coming, and they're coming all at once, and he's not happy. And he's going to get even unhappier. <laughs> to borrow, to borrow um, a Taylor Swift song title, it's going to be a cruel mm-hmm. summer for him. You know, it's funny because a lot of people don't know. I've known you probably since around the 2006. early 2000, 2006? 2006 was when we had that condo thingy. Exactly. Yeah, here in New York. Correct. And we, we both had a chance I wasn't working for him at that point in no, time. No, you weren't. Uh, and obviously neither were you. Correct. Um, <laughs> the interesting thing, do you see a big difference? Because the more I start to reflect upon his behavior, even at those meetings, especially the contentious one, mm-hmm. the more I see a similarity into yeah. his behavior. Yeah. There's no, just he- nothing but defiance. Right. And he was... I mean, he had a better case then. I mean, I think he was, um, I mean, he, he had a better case at that point in time. And, and, but his behavior was very demonstrative and very rude um, and at, at that meeting. But I, th- those people deserved it more than the federal judge and the state judge and the rape victim deserve it and the jury. Um, but it's the same, you know, it's of a piece. There's, there's no question about it. You know, it's funny because I, I get asked uh, the question a lot about, you know, Judge Ngoron's case. And obviously, uh, we're expecting the decision to pop uh, any day now. At least that's based upon Judge Ngoron's own statements. Right. But I think that the number exceeds. And I think that the number is going to exceed $600 million. And I, I say that I, because I, I, I defer to you on that because I confess I have not followed that case that closely. There's only so much bandwidth with all this litigation that he, that he has embroiled himself in. Uh, I simply I just have not followed the New York civil case um, as closely as I probably should. 
But see, I, I'm taking the 370 million right. that Tish James has shown yep. that he that needs to be disgorged. Right. And all I'm doing is tacking on the statutory nine percent per annum multiplied times six years. And then there's also penalties associated with that as well, which brings you into the low 600 number. I mean, it's a ton of money. It's going to be a ton of money no matter what. I mean, there's just no question about it. Um, The amount of money he was running through that organization and the fact that the books were all, you know, were fundamentally fraudulent. um, you, You have to expect a large number, and I think he knows that. I do, too. And I think that's why he's acting out in the manner that he is. But, George, let me ask you this question. Do you think that Trump will somehow get around paying E. Jean Carroll? No. Do you think that he actually—I mean, do you think that he can get around paying her? No. Because he, you know, he has to—if he wants to appeal—look, under the federal rules of civil procedure— 30 days after judgment is entered, the plaintiff can start collecting the judgment, which means that somebody can start running around, attaching liens to things, and and trying to levy his bank accounts, and just generally making his life miserable. Now, the one thing he's got going for him is that very little of his stuff is titled in his own name, but that's also, you know, conversely a problem for him. Because if he wants to avoid all these attachment mechanisms, he has to either uh, post a bond, which he'll have to pay a fee for, or deposit the money into the court. Now, it appears that he may not be able to get a bond. He was not able to bond, or maybe he chose not to. I I don't really know, but it's hard to imagine why anybody wouldn't want to post the bond and pay the bonding fee um, instead of coughing up $5 million. But he ended up paying the $5 million that he owed Gene Carroll, owes Gene Carroll from the 2023 judgment, he paid it into a court escrow account called the Chris account in the Southern District of New York. And everybody was wondering when he did that, well, why did he do that? Why didn't he just post a bond like every other defendant who is appealing a, a monetary judgment against them? And, you know, one answer is he might not want it. He's too cheap to pay the bonding fee, but that doesn't really make any sense. It's like, why? instead he's forking out five, $5 million that he won't have the use of. So, it's it's really there's something going on there, and if he had trouble uh, bonding the five million dollars, he's going to have trouble bonding eighty three point three. And I've heard it suggested or reported somewhere that the monitor, Judge Jones, who was appointed by the state supreme court, uh, may have. Found, is this true? Did you hear this? I, I just saw like an inkling of this that that that, that the she found an error in. The- the Trump yeah. Corporation put up that $5 million, the Trump Organization. Is that true? Which I don't know is, is proper, but I, I don't know. Um, it, I, I, that's, that's, what I, that's what I know, the same. Okay. That, that's okay. where the money came from. Well, that, I don't know what that, you know, interesting. That, I don't know whether that was proper either. Um, probably not. But, you know, he's, he's got to come up with $83.3 million or post a bond in that amount or else he's... Robbie Kaplan can start running around trying to collect the money. And and the other thing that that Gene Carroll and Robbie could do would be to sell the judgment, in essence, um, or engage in some kind of have some kind of an arrangement with a litigation financer, which they may already have 
since there is some litigation financing involved um, that he has complained about. And that person can fund the collection of the judgment and give her, give Jean Carroll, you know, so many cents on the dollar. The more difficult it is to chase a person around for assets, obviously the less that the plaintiff will get. But there's $83.3 million here. And even if she got like 33% of it or 50% of it, you know, that's, that's plenty of money. So that, that is the other thing that can happen. You can basically sell the judgment to someone and that person can collect and, and make that, that person can profit by paying, you know, pay, buying low and, and a, <laughs> buying at a, at a fraction of the judgment and then collecting more than uh, he paid for it uh, in, uh, in the less expenses, of course. I mean, that, that's something that, I mean, if you know, remember um, a guy named Singer, he was a, a Republican donor. That's what he did with with uh, foreign sovereign bonds, and he had a ton of money. Mm-hmm. You know, it's it's very very similar. You you buy the you buy bonds, you buy an asset on the discount, and then you try to collect on it. And people do that with judgments. So um, yeah. she's going to get some. She's already going to get the five million dollars that is deposited yep. in the court account because that court that money, unless the judgment is reversed, and I just don't see any way that's going to happen. That money is going to be dispersed to her. Uh, when all appeals have won. So, and then and now he's got, did you see his yeah. post last night where he says he's now interviewing lawyers for his appeals in the... <laughs> I guess, I, I guess, uh, Alina Habba. Alina oh, has not, your, you know, I guess... Uh, I, yeah, I, yeah I loved your tweet. <laughs> oh, <laughs> but George, yeah. let me ask you this thing. Do you think that his voters or I should say his sycophantic followers, are paying his bills, um, you know, one donation at a time. I know for a fact that they're paying his legal bills. In fact, it's been, just, it's been divulged that $50 million has already been paid in legal fees. Could you imagine this number, George? Fifty that's a, that's million dollars has been paid to this bunch million, of to sad. these bunch of schmucks, right? right? Yeah. Fifty million, but it's being paid for by the pack. You think Correct. that they're going to end up paying this eighty-three point three million? I have no idea. I don't know whether that's proper or legal. Um, I don't know where they're. In. I just simply don't know what the limitations on the use of pack money are. But it doesn't strike me as particularly kosher. Um, I will defer to others on that. Yeah, I mean, $50 million coming out of the pack. I'm not so sure that the folks that are donating to the pack are donating it for the purpose of paying Donald's legal bills. They but have no idea said, why you know, they're donating. It makes, they, they who have knows? no idea. It's, it's the biggest grift on the planet. Yeah. So let, since we were talking about Alina Haba, let me ask you this. Because, I mean... It, talk about Alina Hava having a fast turnaround after she sent that threatening letter to Judge Kaplan. I mean, supposedly based on that New York Post article. But once Roberta Kaplan, E. Jean Carroll's lawyer, denied the claims, Hava did the smart thing and she backed off, claiming that it was just an inquiry, as if she was now going to fool somebody into believing that it was just an, in, an inquiry. What do you think that Judge Kaplan should do at this point in terms of to punish her for this type of behavior? Yeah, I, I don't know whether it's worth it for Judge Kaplan to punish her for this, but she should be deeply, deeply embarrassed. I mean, the allegation that she made, the claim that she made, 
which was partially based on a true fact, but partially based on a distortion of a tr uh, true fact, um, was that there should be recusal because uh, Robbie Kaplan, who is Gene Carroll's lawyer, worked at Paul Weiss, Rifkin, Wharton, and Garrison, a major New York City law firm, in the 1990s and overlapped with Judge Kaplan, who was then a senior partner at that firm, for two years. This was 30 years ago. There is not even a shadow of a basis for recusal in those facts. Even if, even if the judge had been her, her mentor, it would not be a basis for recusal. No, you know, I mean, there, one of the, the, the woman who delivered the rebu closing rebuttal was actually a former clerk of Judge Kaplan. She actually worked for him individually uh, 10 or 15 years ago or however many it is. Clerks are not. People who work with other people are not, you know, th though that's not a basis for recusal. If you're a family member, yes. If you have some kind of financial a tie to, some, to, to a litigant or its counsel, yes, that's a basis for recusal. But professional relations, uh, and particularly ones that were remote, like this, and working at the same 400, 500-person law firm at least, um, is just insane. And, and Alina Haba only showed her absolute incompetence and ignorance in even suggesting that those facts uh, could warrant recusal. It was just, I mean, she embarrassed herself once again. But, but she's not, I don't know that she's capable of shame. But I think she realized what trouble she was in. Somebody must have told her. And, um, you know, she probably did it because, you know, the Donald, uh, what, you know, somebody handed the, the New York Post clipping to the Donald and he screamed at her and she went off and wrote a letter and she didn't think about it. And then she got hammered for it. Yeah. Well, unfortunately, when it comes to Haba, she really doesn't think too much. But if you were going to make that sort of a claim, isn't it proper that you bring it at the beginning of the case when you say, you know, hey, Your Honor, just, you know, yes. this, this has come across. Well, you don't do it after you get, you know, smacked well, around with an 83 well, I mean, point. But it's, <laughs> it's even more ridiculous than that because everybody in New York who's a litigator knows he came from Paul Weiss. Okay. And everybody knows that Robbie Kaplan, who won that Windsor against the United States, she's a very, very well-known lawyer in the city of New York. Everyone knows she split off from, from, from Paul Weiss to join, to, to start her own firm. Everybody knows these people are, were associated at one point or another with, with Paul Weiss, Rifkin, Wharton, and Garrison. Okay, it's, it's not a secret. It was not a secret in 2020 when, these case, when the first of these cases was brought. That's 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 another reason why it's just an embarrassment that she even made this that Alina Haba even made this suggestion. I mean, it it's, it it boggles the mind how stupid this was. You know, it's funny too because we all know here in New anybody that practices law knows who right. Judge Kaplan is. Uh, he's a very yes. well he's a very he's one of well the best judges in the Southern District. Yeah, and he's been there for 30, 30 years. Yeah, and he's got a very Good reputation of being straightforward. Uh, listen, I, and I'm only talking about Judge Kaplan. There are others that I don't have such high oh, esteem yeah, for. Uh, but Judge Kaplan oh, yeah, is known as being an incredibly fair, but a very by the book specific tough, tough uh, judge. Now he's the I, he's the he's the consummate federal judge. Yeah, tough but fair, and that's what you know. That's what we like. You know, that's what people. 
think of when they think of federal judges. And he's just a model federal judge. Yeah. And then, you know, again, because Alina Habba is now coming off of the earlier case, the one that I was testifying at, uh, which is the uh, New York Attorney General case before Judge Angoron. Now, I happen to think Angoron is a very nice guy. But let me also say he happens to be incredibly patient and he happens to be a different type of a judge than Judge Kaplan. Judge Absolutely. Very, very different. He allowed Alina yeah. Haba to do many things that most judges would turn around and say, that's just improper. For example, how she would try to ask a question. She doesn't ask it as a question. She gives it as a direct statement and asks you to agree with it, which is really not a proper way to ask a question well, at it, a trial. It is actually a proper way to ask a question if the witness is hostile. It's actually the proper way to ask. But, but I know what you're saying. She didn't know how to, example, for example, in the, in the Jean Carroll case, how to examine a witness on the basis of his inconsistent or allegedly inconsistent deposition testimony. You read the testimony and then you ask the witness, is that your, was that your testimony at your deposition? It's not hard to do. There's no magic to it and she couldn't do it. And the judge had to basically say, hey, lady, you gotta, you gotta learn, you gotta bone up on trial practice here. Um, it was just another embarrassment. Yeah, and then he turns. Why don't we take a few minutes as a timeout, and maybe somebody can refresh you on how you introduce a document into evidence so that you can use it uh, for your cross examination. I mean, this is supposed to be. I mean, you learn that shit in moot court, to be honest with you. And the fact that you know, oh, high school students, high school students do this. They do. They have these court things for high school students who learn this stuff. I mean, it's it's unbelievable. <laughs> and this is just the beginning. So now I understand that you know, he, meaning Donald Trump, is looking for new appellate counsel. You know. How many lawyers has he gone through in the last six years? Oh, wow. Seven uh, years? Probably more than Rocky Paul White. Somebody needs to. I mean, I, 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 it's mind boggling how many lawyers he's gone through. Mind boggling. Well, first and foremost, he doesn't pay. And second, what he asks you to do are things that most lawyers will not do. They want to create the legal strategy that they intend to employ, whether it's the strategy for an appeal, the strategy for yep. uh, a deposition, right. the strategy for a trial, right. whatever it might be. But that's right. not what Donald wants. He wants to tell you. Well, Donald is what not capable of strategy. He's not capable of strategy. He's not capable of thinking more than one step ahead. Um, he, he just emotes and he reacts and he screams, and he wants the lawyers to do something, usually things that they can't do, either ethically or practically. And that's why so many of them, um, for example, in the 2000 uh, election litigation, so many of them have been brought up on sanctions. It's just he, he is, you know, I have this hat here, um, <laughs> which you might actually appreciate. I don't know if you've seen it. Hold on. Let me go get it. <laughs> Only on the Mayor Culpa podcast do we <laughs> do we have a guest who decides that we need to show. Uh, what do we got there, George? This hat, uh, you can relate to this hat, dude. Yes. Make, Make attorneys get attorneys. That's what he does. Yeah. That is absolutely what he does. 
I also have this T-shirt that says, my, um, I, I, let me show you the T-shirt. <laughs> you can't make this sort of stuff up. You see it? I was inmate P01135809's lawyer for a few days. And all I got was this lousy T-shirt saying I'm inmate <laughs> PO11358824, which is that guy who was, what's his name? Who was at the Justice Department who wanted to become Attorney General. I forget his name already. But that's, anyway, that's, this is, this is, this is, you know, you can't make this stuff up. So, you know, one of the problems, one of the problems that you have when you're talking about, and you were right, there is no strategy. But he has an idea. He gets an inkling, he gets a, uh, a thought, and he wants the lawyer, an impulse, and he wants the lawyer to go and to act upon his impulse and to create a law around his impulse in order to justify the way he feels because he believes that that impulse is a winning strategy. I, I know it's, it's all circuitous, but that's really how he thinks. And most lawyers, especially any decent lawyer, is going to say to him, fuck off. I don't have the ability to create law because you have an idea. Or facts. Or, or facts. facts. Yeah. Facts. Yeah, that's I mean, the problem. He, you know, he, he gets something in his head. He can't sort out. His mind is so jumbled. He can't sort out reality from fantasy, from his own lies, from things he wants people to believe. His mind is a complete jumble. And as you know, he's a sociopath. He, he doesn't care about truth or lies. And as a sociopath, he's completely impulsive. And um, and that's that's part of why he shouldn't be pre All these reasons are why he shouldn't be present and all these reasons why it make him make him a bad client. He just thinks that, OK, he comes up and somebody gives him an idea and it's the last thing in his head. And then they, they, he, he wants them to execute it. And then the next day, it's something else. And the next day after that, it's something else. And, you know, all these people who have been around him, both, you know, in his business career, as you know, and, and in the White House and in his post-White um, House life, they think they can manipulate him. They mm -hmm. think they can manipulate him because he's a narcissist and you can flatter him and you can and you can do all sorts of things to make him listen to you. Um, but the pro and, and he's not very smart. And the problem is, though, you can't control him because something else will pop into his mind in the next hour. Someone else will whisper into his ears or he, mm -hmm. he you know, he, he's just completely inconstant. And that's because he has a jumbled, fried brain. <laughs> Well said. But am I, am, I, am, I, am, I, am I saying anything that's you're, not consistent you're, with you're your not. experience? You're not. We always used to say at the Trump board, the guy, who listen, the guy who gets Donald's ear last controls the brain. And it's, it happens Correct. to be the truth. But, you know, he right. has this ability of getting people, lawyers, myself included, to do shit that is yes. outside of what they normally would. Now, Chris Kyes, yes. as an example— Chris Kais had yeah. a decent reputation as a lawyer. He's no Correct. Alina Habba. He's no Cliff Robert. I mean, he was really, he right. had a reputation. No, but he's, he he's had, a lawyer. But and he, I saw Chris Kais yeah. get up like a stupid ass during the, um, during the case, the New York Attorney General case, and start yeah. waving his hands and jumping up and down. Of course, what are they doing? They're playing to a party of They're one. They're playing to him. Sure. But he's now going even further. And Chris Kyes accused 
the Trump Organization's independent monitor, Barbara Jones, of exaggerating immaterial issues in the Trump Organization's finances to fill the, this is his words, to fill the gaping hole in the Attorney General's case and justify the $2.6 million in fees collected by Jones. Can you do me a favor? Can you explain to my listeners what the hell is going on here? I can't, you know, I have not read Judge Jones's report, but I know Judge Jones. I've met Judge Jones. I've litigated in front of Judge Jones. In fact, the case that I had that went up to the Supreme Court, the one time I got to argue there, was a case that she dismissed. And the one thing I can tell you about Judge Jones is not just that she's smart like all these other federal judges, but she is a very cautious and careful and thoughtful person. Okay, She does not jump off and do... She's just... She's a very deliberate and careful person and who she's not going to get this wrong. Okay. And she's not going to be making up things to help somebody's case. She's going to call it straight down the middle. She is as honest as the day is long. She is, she is so, I mean, she, she is like, if you want to trust somebody, you, 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 that, that's why she's picked for these jobs. That's why she was picked. She 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 was picked as the discovery monitor, and I think you're in case. my case, I mean, she everybody, that's right. yeah, everybody trusts her. Okay, she's gonna she's gonna you know, and, and as much it, it's just crazy that, that that they that anyone would attack Barbara Jones. Um, it's just absolutely nuts. There, there was something also that I saw pop up that there was like forty-two million dollars of a discrepancy between monies in and monies out at the Trump Organization, and I think that's part of what they're talking about here. But how could Chris Kyes then turn around and make a claim that these are exaggerated, immaterial issues? This is her job. Her job is to make sure Correct. that every penny in. Right. And every penny going out is going to where it's right. supposed to go, that it is not Correct. done within which to defeat any potential verdict that could come in that could force a payment to whether it's the attorney general or to E. Jean Carroll or anybody for that matter. She is, as you rightfully stated, she's doing her job. So why would Correct. Chris Kai say something so stupid and more importantly... Could they now bring a potential sanctions claim against him or punish him for this behavior? Uh, look, I mean, I, I'd have to know more facts to make an assessment of how outrageous Kaiser's conduct is here. So I'm not going to I'm not going to go out on a limb um, to 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 say that he has done anything sanctionable. But I just will say that it is just not credible to suggest that Judge. Judge Jones is doing anything but doing her job. I mean, just by virtue of her reputation and, you know, Carell and, and conversely by reputation of Donald Trump. Okay, so it's not hard to figure out who's right here. Um, you know, you can do it blindfolded. Yeah, I, you're, you're right. But here's the big problem and why I, I say it, and you're right. I don't have enough of the specific facts either to see whether or not sanctions are appropriate. Yeah, I, I, honestly, I don't think it's worth, I don't think it's, I don't know that it's worth the brain cells to try to figure that out. But here's, honestly, but here's the problem. Yeah. Here, but here's no. the problem. If the goal is to set a precedent, 
every single judge so far that has been appointed, other than Judge um, Cannon in Florida, Donald has turned around and questioned their competency, their capabilities, their fairness. You know, he has attacked every single judge as being a partisan, unless you are in Trump's camp. And to the point, like Eileen Cannon, you know, some of her um, decisions are just asinine. But every single judge, every single lawyer, every single person is a liar to him. Everyone is... Um, you know, it's all partisan. What it's, are the odds? What are the odds that everybody but Donald Trump is lying, right? And and it's, it's crazy. But yeah, you know, you're absolutely right, Michael. But the thing about it is the best thing to my mind that these judges can do is to do simple justice in the principal cases before them. Um, and that's that's what we ask of them. That's what they're going to do, to my mind, leaving apart the question of what Judge Cannon is doing in Florida. And I, I think a lot of judges feel generally with respect to sanctions, and, not, and I'm not talking here specifically about Donald Trump and his lawyers, is that it often produces saddle, unproductive satellite litigation that wastes the time of the court. And... You know, I, I think that judges have tended to back off Trump in that regard. I think even Judge Kaplan, who is as tough as nails, um, backed off a bit when he, you know, he any you or I would have been thrown out of that courtroom that day when uh, Judge Kaplan warned Trump that he was verging on being thrown out of the, of the courtroom. And Judge Kaplan said something like, you really can't control yourself, can you? And the ju- and and Trump mouthed off, and neither can you. And Judge Kaplan had previously said, "You want me to throw you out, don't you?" And he says, "I'd love it," said Donald Trump. You or I had pulled that before any federal or state judge in the nation. We would have been the, the marshals or the or the court officers Handcuffs. would have taken us away, and and um and we would have spent a, a, a night in the pokey or a two nights in the pokey on you know for 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 civil for for criminal contempt. That said, I mean he didn't do it. Judge Kaplan, you know, held off because he didn't want to get distracted and didn't want to create a distraction from the event, the main event that was being conducted. His job was to conduct a fair trial. And he basically chose at that moment not to do something that he would have done to any other litigant because he felt that that was not the productive way to get to justice, which he did, you know, by, you know, by, by charging the jury and letting the jury deliberate and letting the jury do what it, you know, had to do. I mean, he was letting, in a sense, Trump hang himself with his own, by his own rope, by allowing Mm -hmm. Trump, I don't know if. I don't know if that particular instance that I described was in front of the jury. I assume it was not. But he understood that Trump, Trump's behavior was improper in the courtroom. But at the same time, the jury got to see it. And he understood, I'm sure, Judge Kaplan, that Trump was not doing himself any favors um, by, by acting out in front of the jury. And so he let, he let Trump do it to some extent. Yeah. Um, and let Trump pay the price. And that, to me, was much better than any award of sanctions. And and it showed. I mean, that's part. I think it's part of the reason why the jury came back with 65 million impunities. Yeah, I, I, I agree with you. But, you know, during my 
tenure at the Trump Organization. I remember sitting down with Donald on many occasions and talking about different legal issues that arose, you know, generally real estate type issues. And then there were personal ones, of course. And I've always said to him, which I'm 100% certain you would say to your client as well, right? You really want to get the best possible lawyer for this specific matter. You're really not going to go with somebody that just hung up a shingle or someone who doesn't have the reputation, especially, especially in, in New York, right? There are... In New York and in the real estate business is very, very, you know, they're all, I couldn't do, I mean, I would have to, there'd be a big learning curve for me to do real estate litigation in the city of New York. Right. But you there, know, there I mean, are... I could, I could mount that learning curve, but, you know, you want to go to somebody who actually has experience in the problem that you have. You don't want them to be having a learning experience on your dime. Right. Absolutely And true. here in Manhattan, there's plenty of lawyers in every field. Everything. That every are, field. Yes, that absolutely. are top-notch. Top, top-notch. Correct. But Correct. who does he have? He's got Alina Haba, who's literally making a fucking fool out of him. Forgetting about making a fool out right. of herself. She's made him look like a total asshole. And then again, you got Chris Kyes. Well, he doesn't need much help, but yeah, yeah, you're right. <laughs> right? And then you got Chris Kyes, yeah, yeah, who, as yeah. I said before, he's yeah. ruined his reputation. Kyes is actually a Trump. He's a good appellate lawyer. Yeah. Yeah. There's got to be someone out there who they could bring on who will at least remain calm while in court, cause him to, to remain calm. And to he had, put on he the had, best possible defense. Takapina turned out to be a pretty good lawyer. Not much he could do with this guy. But Takapina, I mean, by all accounts, for people I've, who were litigating against him and, and, and the journalists who saw him litigating the court, Takapina didn't do a bad job, particularly considering he was brought on like a month before the trial. And there's a reason why he's gone. Because, he, you know, he did his job. And, I, you know, they, he, there's just people will not work for him for two basic. This has been going on since 2017. People will not work for him because he's fucking nuts and because he doesn't pay. And um, that's the reputation he had in New York. And that's the reputation that followed him. I remember in 2017, I was sitting in my office and Kellyanne calls me and said, you're going to get a call from the president. This is like March or April. It was the, actually the day, actually I can pinpoint the day. It was the day Trump, it was like a Thursday or Friday afternoon, and he was flying to Saudi Arabia, okay, for, for, that, for that first big trip out there. And it was after he was looking, he was looking for a lawyer to help defend him in the, 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 the new Mueller investigation. Mueller had just been appointed, I don't know how many days before. And... Okay, sure. Okay, President of the United States is going to call me. Great. Ask me about lawyers. Fine. Okay, I'll give him opinions of lawyers. And he called me about all these lawyers. It's like none of them ended up wanting to work for him. None. These were great lawyers that they were talking about. They were talking about Ted Olson. They were talking about, um, who was that former U.S. attorney out in Chicago who was very good. They talk about a whole bunch of lawyers. And, you know, and I would say, Great lawyers, good lawyer, fantastic, 
perfect for this, da-da-da, you know, and none of them would touch him. None of them would touch him even then. And um, it, it, it's the story, who, who would, rep- you know, it's just not worth it, not worth it, not worth being stiffed, not worth having to argue with your client about doing basic things that you're required to do like everyone else. I mean, Donald Trump wants a lawyer to tell him he doesn't have to meet the obligations either in, in court or in litigation or outside of litigation that every other citizen has to meet. That's why he, you know, he, he worshipped Roy Cohn because Roy Cohn didn't play by the rules. Yeah. So, you know, the problem is yeah. not only does it affect Donald Trump's ability to get lawyers, but it affects everybody that's surrounding him. I remember personally when I We're needed back. to go find a lawyer, uh, when I first received the uh, notification from uh, the House and the Senate Permanent Select Committees on Intelligence that they wanted me to come in and to testify, yeah. I could not find a firm. Yeah that wanted to yep. handle me because it was going to be paid, one, by the Trump organization, and two, because yep. they wanted nothing to do. I was fortunate, and I got a great lawyer out of McDermott, Will, and yep. Emery, but interestingly enough, he fucked them too, and he stiffed them also for over seven figures. You mean he, he, the, your lawyer got stiffed by the Trump organization? Of course, of course. Yeah, of course. Yeah, I mean... Let I'm, me just say, the only, the only shocking, person right? who has really... Not shocking at all. The only the only person who has managed to have, uh, maybe not the only person, but the one person who comes to mind who has managed to have good counsel, despite having been associated with Trump, is uh, Mark Meadows, who's represented by George Terwilliger. And you know, I mean, I don't I don't agree with everything Terwilliger has done, but he, he's he's well represented by counsel. Um, and and then he and then they got. Um, Paul Clement to represent uh, Meadows in the Supreme Court because he's he's taking up the 11th Circuit decision not to 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 remove the the Fonnie Willis criminal case. But that's an exception. It it is an exception. I mean, a lot of these people end up with with terrible lawyers. Yeah. Or they, and then there was the situation where this one guy um, who I who I had some dealings with because he was in the White House Counsel's office, and at one point he was. He had something to do with the um, ethics filings that, that, that my wife had to make. And so I had to provide information to him, a guy named Stefan Pasentino. I mean, he, he was basically accused, and I don't know, I, 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 he was basically accused of trying to get Cassidy Hutchinson to, to, to not tell the truth before the January 6th committee. And then she replaced him and then was represented by a really, really great guy named Jody Hunt. Um, who did a fantastic job um, for her. But, you know, I don't know what's going on with, with Pasentino, what he did exactly or whatnot, but it's just, you know, it's just kind of, it's just a tar- it's just an awful story about how lawyers get involved in, with Trump and they just get into trouble or, uh, or the people they represent get into more trouble. And it's just a sad, sad, sad story. Yep. So since you mentioned Fonnie Willis, let me ask you this then, George. Fannie Willis and her special counsel, Nathan Wade, have come under fire from Trump and Republicans, of course, for perhaps having a relationship. Even if they are having a relationship, is there really a conflict of interest? Right. I mean, no. Could the case actually be dismissed as a result of it? Because, look, I know the Trump playbook better than anyone, because, in fact, I hate to say it. I'm partially responsible for the creation of it. 
the whole goal here is to bloody Fannie Willis up in any way that they can. It's what they're doing to me. Anyone who is who is adverse to Donald needs to get bloodied up so that you could attack them on credibility, on motive, etc. You think that this case can actually I, be dismissed I, over I, this? I too, I too understand that. <laughs> yes, 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 you do, George. Um, not, not, not the way you do and some other people do, but yeah, yeah, I get it, I get it, I get it. Um, let me tell you, I mean, the, the, the Fonnie Willis um, situation, I mean, she didn't do herself any favors yep. there. Um, you know, hiring somebody you're having a relationship with in any context is just not a good idea. And it's particularly not a good idea when you're a public official. And um, that said, I mean, it, you know, what, what they, what the arrangement here may have, there may be issues under state um, procurement law or just public admin as a matter of public administration, but it doesn't create any kind of an impropriety that a criminal defendant being charged by a grand jury should be able to avail himself or herself of. It's just got nothing to do with the validity of the charges. And there is, you know, regardless of what the facts are here, it's just not, it's just, it was just a pure political, political play, a pure attempt to, to just, as you say, bloody up the people who are, who are lined up against you. Now that said, she didn't do herself any favors there. Um, and, um, but I, it's, 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 it's a blip and by this case is going to get tried on the merits and the chips will fall where they will fall and will have, they will not be affected by, um, this, ep- this unfortunate episode. Yeah, I agree. I mean, she certainly didn't do herself any favors, but I love, right. I love yeah. how they want to turn around and say that this case and everybody and all the jurors and everybody, all the prosecutors should all be dismissed um, and have to recuse no, themselves. Like, I mean, the idea that the idea that the, 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 the rapist is is has some kind of right to complain about a consensual relationship of somebody else is just insane. Yeah, um, me, <laughs> right? Exa- exactly. So let me ask you this, because since we were talking about before also about Judge Cannon, I mean, she has dragged her feet in the Mar-a-Lardo stolen documents case, like no, like, like, like no, like no judge that I've ever seen. I've never seen a case having, you know, dragging. It's almost like it's, um, it's, it's crippled. There's a closed door meeting with special counsel, Jack Smith, that's raising alarm bells. What can Smith do to get a fair trial out of judge Cannon and to push this case along? If anything, I, I, Look, I mean, if, if a federal judge is determined to slow down a case, and I'm not saying she is or isn't, um, it certainly doesn't look like she's doing anything to move the case as, as quickly as, some, as I might like, there's very little that a litigant can do unless the judge does something completely insane. Um, it, it, it is just the, the ju- judges have so much discretion yep. as to scheduling and in this particular case, it's, I mean, it's a simple case factually. Uh, it, I, I don't think it would take all that long to try. Um, but with this classic, classified documents overlay and the procedures that are required um, by federal statute in the dealing with, cla- there, there are all sorts of ways to, that this thing can get bogged down, even though the fact of the matter is 
the end of the day, the specific contents of these documents don't matter all that much. What matters is that they were sensitive documents uh, relating to the nation's security. I mean, that's all that matters, and, and for purposes of the of the conspiracy, the um, the, the for, for purposes of obstruction, it, they, the, the content of the documents almost doesn't matter, and and so. Uh, you know, I, I, it's not, I don't, there's just a limit to what, there really isn't very much that, that Jack Smith can do. It's a shame because you're right. It doesn't matter what the content of the top secret document is, other right. than just saying it was a top secret document. It belonged right. to and, the and, National Archives. And it doesn't Archives. actually even matter. Yeah. Yeah. It doesn't even matter that the, that the documents were classified right. under, under the Espionage Act. I mean, they just have to be not public and they have to relate to national security. And there has to be some basis to believe that disclosure of these documents to the wrong people could cause the nation harm. And that's just that's just a no brainer with virtually anything that that's handed up from a, you know, the National Security Council to the president. I mean, these documents belong to the American people. They, they, they need to be under the control of the um the National Archives, uh, and Correct. the fact that they lied on um, documents to the to the FBI, claiming that all the um, yeah. the boxes had been returned. That's Move another lawyer. That's another to, right. That's I another lawyer that just got thrown under the bus. Right. Tried to destroy the 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 the, the, the videotapes. Tried to get a get a tech guy. I mean, you know, it, this case is not hard. No, this case should be. You know, I mean, if if you were bef- if this were before Judge Conway, this case would be on trial. This this case would be being tried right now because that it was brought what last August. I mean, this. I mean, actually, no, before that. This this, Way this before has been that. going on since twenty twenty two. Yep, twenty twenty two. This case should be. This case should have been tried already. Frank. So, since we're um, talking about cases that should be tried already, in terms of all of the Trump trials and. Right now we have four, right? The four indictments. Right. How do you see the year 2024 playing out? What cases do you think will actually get to court before the election? Because that's an issue too. Yeah, I, I think I think the January 6th case in here in the, well, I'm, I'm in Maryland actually, but in the District of Columbia, that case will get tried. Now, I mean. It's being increasingly delayed because the D.C. Circuit is taking longer than one might have expected to issue its decision on Trump's claim of immunity. But that said, the worst case, I think, uh, in terms of delay would be the, the D.C. Circuit comes out with a decision in the next couple of weeks and then they go straight up to the Supreme Court and the Supreme Court decides the case by June. And you have, again, cruel summer for Donald Trump. Okay, so you think it could be by June, July? I think it could be by August at the latest. I think this case is going to get tried before the fall. I, I firmly believe that. I think it's highly unlikely that it's going to get delayed beyond that. And what about the Fonnie, again, what about know, the Fonnie Willis case? I just, you know, I honestly don't know. It's a much more complex, it's much more complex case because there's, there, although a number of defendants have pled, it's, it's, you know, it's a very, it's a, it's a very involved case because of they, they charge so many people at once. And I, I haven't focused on how that's affecting the timetable. You have to, you have to check your local listings and ask a Georgia, <laughs> and then Georgia, there's, Georgia lawyer. Then there's also the other Jack Smith case. Um, 
the uh, yeah, and that one, yeah, the 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 one we you know the Mara as you the say, Mara Lardo, Lardo documents. <laughs> Again, I, that that is just imponderable. I I, I just don't know. I mean, in, nominally, I think it's slated to go for tr- go to trial in the next couple two or three months, but we'll we'll have to see whether that's whether that's going to stick. Um, you know, if I were somebody determined improperly to delay a case um, for a litigant and I were a federal judge, I mean, I wouldn't, I, I would, I would not reschedule the trial until a month or two before. I, I, and, and so we, we, we have to see, we just have to see what happens. Because as you know, the fourth case being the Alvin Bragg case, which is the business yeah. records, the hush yeah, money. Yeah, when is that one scheduled to go March to trial? 25th. March 25th. And okay, well, you're, you're, you're the person I need to ask. Is it, you think that's going to go to trial? I know March it is. 25th? Yeah, I know it is. Um, I mean, I'm already in is document. I'm already in, I'm already in preparation uh, for review of documents for trial. I'm the key witness or one of them. Is, I, I want to know. Well, I want to know if Stormy's going to testify. That's well, I'll I'm call her and ask her. I, mean, I know, that? you know, you'll call her and ask her. Yeah. Uh, I, I, believe, I don't believe yeah, that she's going she's to. She's really smart, you know. She is. She's, really she's very clever. And in, she, in many ways, she's and she's got smart. a great she memory like, I recall. I mean, I read somewhere where like, she was like a valedictorian of her high school class or something. She was actually very, she's like way smarter than Donald. You know, way smarter oh. than a lot of people give her credit for. But can I jump back onto oh, something absolutely. else here for a second? Because we know, we know, George, that between now and the election, Republicans are going to try and obstruct the law. And the vote. I mean, just yesterday, a bill was proposed. I was I couldn't believe it when I when I heard it. Oh, in Georgia, a bill was, the uh-huh, Georgia bill like, that would gonna... give that would give the legislature <laughs> absolute power to control. This is Arizona. Arizona's electoral college oh. votes, disenfranchising millions of citizens. I mean, how can we combat the barrage? That's definitely going to be coming our way. And when I say our way, I'm not referring to Democrats. I'm referring to Americans. I mean, it's one person, one I, vote. I, I mean, there are going to be people. There are all sorts of groups, thank goodness, that are monitoring this stuff, and they'll they'll bring claims. I mean, you know, groups like uh, Crew Protect Democracy. Um, you know, and the, and 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 this fellow who does all that work for the Democrats. Um, whose name is, um, escapes me right now. I mean, they're just going to be a lot. There's going to be a lot of litigation. I thought you were going to talk about this crazy law, this bill that got in, thrown into the hopper in Georgia that basically said that the RICO statute can't be used in, you know, and then it basically lists all the charges in the, <laughs> in, in, in the, in the Bonnie Willis case. Like, we're, we're, we're against racketeering, except this one case, <laughs> it's just crazy. This is crazy. But this These is the point shanks. I'm trying to make. It's going to yes, be a point, fight. Right? It is right. going to be a barrage of bullshit that's going to... Could you imagine that Arizona... It doesn't matter what the outcome of the, of the um, election is, that the legislature there can absolutely yeah. change... The decision. Yeah, I, I don't think that's. Uh, yeah, I don't think that's constitutional. I think you have to set in advance, and I think that's consistent with the Twelfth Amendment. I, I defer to experts on this, but you, you have to set in advance the method, designate in advance the method by which electors are chosen, and you can't change the result if you don't like it. That's 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 got to be fundamental. 
And um, yeah, I, I just don't think that I, I don't think that effort is going to be is, is going to stand and you know, both both legally and politically. But that said, I mean, you know, they're going to try anything they can. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, it's it's as stupid as the Georgia um, uh, this proposed uh, change in the Georgia uh, RICO uh, statute. Uh, yep. I mean, it's Absolutely. that's what's going to happen. And it's going to become ongoing distractions, which is what Donald's all about. Right. I mean, he would have been a great magician. Don't look here. Look over here. Right. I mean, that's just who that's who he is. And that's what the Republican yep. Party is doing for him. It's all about deflection and distraction. So Absolutely. on that thought. Who do you think that Trump will choose as his running mate? Because, you know, the smart folks out That's there are saying one. that he should pick a woman. And I think, personally, yep. I think Elise Stefanik is a disaster. Nikki Haley won't do it. At least that's her own words. And Carrie Lake. He, he wouldn't pick Nikki. He wouldn't pick no. Nikki Haley. He wouldn't. He won't pick Nikki Haley because she's not sufficiently loyal enough to him. Carrie Lake is very devoted to him, but she won't pick, he won't pick her because she gets too much attention. He's got to be the center of attention. She's also That's booed by her own party. Mike. But George, she's also being booed yeah, yeah, by her I mean, own party. I know. She's, well, she's a, you know, she, she is who she is. But that, that said, I mean, you know, the reason why Mike Pence was such a perfect fit was yep. because he, he was, he was, Milk Always toast. deferential to him, and he was very—he was just never going to upstage the boss. And Milk toast. That's that's that, that. It's absolutely right. I think that's why I think Stefanik might have a chance because I think she's going to behave. Uh, she's sufficiently obsequious enough um, uh, to to. I, I think in, in some ways she'd be better for him than than. Pence was because she knows how to go on the attack, but she will always be obsequious to him and do his bidding. Uh, so, I mean, I think Stefanik has a good chance, and, and I agree with you. Stefanik is just she to me. She's a low life. She's a she's an absolute the worst people who have devoted themselves to the to Trump are the ones who know better, and she's smart enough that she mm -hmm. knows better, and 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 I think. She's among the worst of the worst. She and uh, Ronna Mc, Ron and Romney uh, changed her name to whatever it is. McDaniel's. Yeah, I mean, yeah. she didn't want to have any affiliation I mean, to uh, to the Mitt Romney, you know. And no, so she just got rid of that. To the honorable name, the honorable name, and the honorable family. She wanted to hide, yeah. you know, she, because Trump can't. But you know what bothers me a lot, George, about about uh, the whole thing with Elise Stefanik. I have friends here in yeah. New York, also incredibly yeah. successful, intelligent people. Yeah. And they say, well, did you see Elise Stefanik the other day when she went against the Harvard, uh, the University of Pennsylvania? I, I'll give her credit. She did a good job. She, she she's not stupid. She's right. smart. She did a good job with them. But I mean, they ignore everything I mean, else. They ignore everything else. And all it's right. about is the fact that she had prepared some pretty decent questions for the presidents of MIT, Harvard, and UPenn. I mean, that negates all the other no, crazy I give, shit. I give, her, I give her credit for that. But I mean, I, I, the first time I ever focused on Elise Stefanik was during, they put her out, the Republicans put her out front 
in the 2019 fall impeachment hearings. And the first thing she did basically was go on this diatribe lying about how she had been, you know, not given time to ask questions when in fact there was a specific agreement that both sides had abided by um, dividing up the time. And she just pretended that she was cut off because, because the Democrats didn't want to hear from her. It's like, no, no, there was a, there was a rule. There was a rule. <laughs> it was specific. I mean, it was just the most, it was a most, one of the most disgraceful things I'd ever seen. And it was even just a, a procedural, but she is, she is absolutely appalled. Because you know, rules so don't apply to them. They no. apply to you. So in, in their mind, it's the same thing as Donald at any debate. He wants to monopolize 90% of all of the conversation. And then the other 10% should be about praising him. That's what he wants. Unfortunately, he doesn't get it, which is why he'll never debate. I'd like to see, and I'm looking forward to seeing, if he becomes the nominee, I would like to see a debate between him and Joe Biden. I think that will really show who's cognitively capable and who's not. But George, as the hour in mea culpa comes to an end, I have one last question for you. Yes, sir. You think that Trump actually makes it to the general election? Because Nikki Haley's not backing down. And what we're seeing is that more and more he's going to get the nomination, whether he physically makes it to the general election is another question. Um, Well, well, don't don't forget, before we jump jump on to him getting the nomination, let's not forget that the big dollar donors, many of them are lining up behind Nikki Haley. Doesn't matter. You think he makes it no matter what? Nikki, he makes it no matter what. Um, I I don't see how Nikki can can beat him. Um, I've never... The only way I thought he could possibly have been beaten would have been just a, a race that was one-on-one from the very beginning with somebody who just relentlessly, relentlessly attacked him and drove him crazy and made him behave like a lunatic. That was the only chance of that. And the problem with that would be you'd end up alienating you know, half the Republican Party. So it, it, there was no path to victory against Donald Trump in, the, in this year's Republican Party. I don't think there's a path to victory now. I think, you know, the best that she can do is make inroads in states where there is some crossover voting. And I think she will make some inroads in those states. She's probably going to lose her own state of South Carolina by 20 or 30 or maybe 40 points. Um, I don't think she is a long term play, but I do appreciate the fact that she's finally going after him in some, you know, in some of the ways that I would go after him if I were running against against Trump, attacking his um, mental stability and his mental competence, which is just obviously um, deficient, uh, and making a big deal of that finally. I mean, this, this is what all the candidates should have been doing since last summer, but they didn't because they were too cowardly and they're, it, it, it's, just, it's just a shame. That said, though, um, even if Nikki Haley wins the nomination or manages to, to get the number of delegates she needs to win the nomination, Trump's going to sabotage her. Trump will absolutely do everything he can to keep her from winning, even if it elects a Democrat, because he, you know, I mean, that's his character. That's he's vengeful. And he would he, he basically says, if I can't have the Republican Party, nobody can. So, you know, the Republicans are screwed either way.
But you know, you brought um, something up that's interesting, George. We said, you know, that um, yeah. it would, it would, if Nikki Haley had done this or any Republican had done this early on, they would have alienated fifty percent of the Republican Party. And I totally agree yeah. with that at that time. But yeah. let's not forget. Look at Iowa. Look at New Hampshire. Donald lost fifty percent of the Republican vote to whether it was DeSantis or Nikki Haley. So that same 50% has been alienated. He did it to himself. Okay, but, but, you know, New Hampshire is a special case, remember, because there was crossover voting. And, you know, the Republicans there are a little more sensible than Republicans in a lot of other states. Um, I don't think New Hampshire is the bellwether uh, of what's going to happen in some of these Republican primaries. And I I just don't think the numbers will add up in the end. Um, all and, and remember, and 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 the and the and the the rules are stacked up in favor of whoever wins a plurality of the vote. Uh, that that was you know been that has been the case since at least 2012, um, 2016, when the party changed the rules because Newt Gingrich gave Mitt Romney such a hard time going into May and June, even though Newt had no chance of winning the nomination. He he didn't drop out, and. It kept the it kept the race going to the Republicans' disadvantage, Romney's, and to the Republicans' disadvantage. So they changed the rules to make it such that, uh, and I don't know the technical details of it, but basically, in a nutshell, if you start winning right around Super Tuesday, it, the, some of these primaries are basically winner takes takes all. Even if you get 40 percent of the vote, you you get virtually the lion's share of delegates, and that's how Trump won in twenty sixteen. And that's how we, you know, in 2020, they basically, there was no contest. And 2024, these, these same rules are basically in effect. Um, it, it's stacked against any challenger. And the fact of the matter is, he still has majority support among Republican registered voters. Yeah, hard to believe and crazy. George, nobody, Amazing, but it's nobody says it the way you do. Thank you for your insight, right. for your thank you, your straight, your straight talk. You're, you're the best, and um, I will talk. definitely be speaking to you the again. Straight soon. Talk Express, right? <laughs> you know, the modern Straight Talk Express. Exactly. Thank you for having me, as always, Michael. And we will have to get together next time we're in New York. And I'll be in DC soon too. And now for today's Maya culpa. On Friday, President Biden will be on hand to meet the plane carrying the three fallen soldiers back to American soil. Remember, they were killed in a drone strike on a small U.S. outpost in Jordan. At least two dozen service members were also injured in the attack. This marks the first time U.S. troops have been killed by enemy fire in the Middle East since the beginning of the Gaza War. Certainly, the attack was meant to provoke President Biden into further escalating tensions and maybe even get us into a full-blown war. But the president has said, and I quote, We don't need a wider war in the Middle East. For now, the president says he figured out how he will respond to the attack. It will be in his own time and will likely send a message to Iran reminding them that we are the most powerful nation on earth and don't fuck with us. Biden has a particular soft spot for military families. Remember, his son Bo was a decorated veteran who served in Iraq and died due to a brain cancer caused by burn pit toxins he encountered overseas. The president spoke with the families of the fallen soldiers this week on the phone 
And this is where the president really shines. His own pain translates as deep empathy for families in crisis. He has said repeatedly that those calls are the hardest part of the job. But as the drums of war beat, we all need to think of what's at stake. While warmongers and hawks like Bolton are calling for harsh and definitive measures like a massive bomb strike within the Iranian borders, cooler heads are saying economic sanctions can go a long way towards muzzling the Iranians. But Biden will ultimately have to make the call. We know that the Iranians are the muscle behind Hamas and also the Houthis in the Red Sea. They are accused of masterminding and funding the October 7 attacks on Israel. And now, how many thousands are dead in Gaza? The hostages are still not released and the entire region ripped to shreds. This all, all of this, is the work of the Islamic Republic of Iran. Their support of terrorist organizations worldwide is by now legendary. Just this Wednesday, U.S. citizens filed a federal lawsuit in D.C. charging Iran for the attack on Israeli citizens. And now, Iran has hit United States troops directly. So Biden doesn't like war. He's been crystal clear about that. But he's also not someone to be trifled with. Russia and China are watching to see how the president will handle this most recent taunt by Iran. And you can bet 100% that Putin and Xi Jinping certainly want Trump back so that they can easily manipulate him, knowing that he's just a fucking idiot. But Biden is not their puppet. He's tough, especially when American lives are on the line and our allies are at risk. This situation in the Middle East reminds me of the film Oppenheimer. The Oscar contender for Best Picture deals with the morality of war and illustrates the terrible responsibility one man felt for changing the world. Oppenheimer's bomb had the power to end the war because the devastating results of detonation just overwhelmed the enemy. Now President Biden is under intense pressure to respond with force and to overwhelm the enemy. I mean, he said to the family of the fallen service person, Brianna Moffitt, to pray for him so that he makes the right choices going forward. And maybe, just maybe, that's what we should all do in our way. Pray. Pray for the best possible outcome in the Middle East and around the world. So let's all get together and let's pray for our president. And even as our enemies beat the drums of war, we should pray for them too. And as always, my friends, thanks for listening. Mea Culpa is written by Paula Killen. Our managing producer and editor is Lisa Orkin. Mea Culpa is a Midas Touch podcast, executive produced by the Midas Touch Network and LSJ Media Group. 